Thank you so much, Mickey, for that very kind invitation and um, very kind words. My name is Pete. I'm a recovered alcoholic and grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, first things first, Ali, thank you so much. Uh, you're a class act, my friend, and putting this together uh, has been wonderful. The committee uh, and the speakers, my Lord have mercy. Um, we've been listening all day, on screen, off screen. So my house is pretty much like a retreat chapel right now with all this good information. I, there's angels floating around and butterflies. There's hot music going on in the background. This is unbelievable. It's been a, a heck of a day and it isn't done yet. And um, some of my favorites were speaking here today as well. It's great to see Ralph and Butch and, and, and Steve and some of those other guys. Um, and Teresa is always a treat. So uh, I have been fed uh, a whole bunch and uh, it's a tough act to follow. I have no idea what God's about to give me. So you're in for a surprise just as much as I am, quite frankly. Um, <clears throat> June 23rd, 1988 was my separation from alcohol. And I'm very grateful to be a recovered member of this sacred fellowship. And as a recovered member, I automatically assume here a responsibility to uphold the traditions as well as the tradition of Alcoholics Anonymous to understand what it is I belong to from my very humble beginnings to some of the tough times we're going through right now. But I think Ralph touched on it, we still meet. Uh, for fun and for free. Uh, nothing will keep us down. And it's kind of like defiance. I walked with on the street. It rolled right into AA. We're still going to meet. Come hella high water, we're meeting. And here we are. And uh, we get to carry the good news. And I'm forever grateful. Um, the sacred rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I've often referred to AA as sacred. And I guess one of my prayers would be that if you have not experienced the sacredness of Alcoholics Anonymous yet, that you were able to stick around long enough to experience the sacredness of Alcoholics Anonymous, where we get to hear what our own ears and see what our own eyes, lives get reborn and resurrected right here for fun and for free. We share our brokenness, it's shared brokenness, and somehow we become, as my sponsor says, angels with dirty faces. We, we talk about our, our, our peaks and valleys and it's embraced and, and rarely judged. And somehow there's someone in the room or a sponsor who knows the hole we're in and knows the way out and isn't pointing a finger at us you did it again it is the, one of the great liberators in Alcoholics Anonymous you know loving people like family members um, would try to help me but it was if you do that again or you need to smarten up or you need to use your head and and things like this and I would rebel even more I didn't know they were saying that with a broken heart, but somehow I come into Alcoholics Anonymous petrified and I would share delicately and even sheepishly on some of the things and someone say, yeah, I did the same thing and I began to breathe again. And most of these folks pointed to the solution, which was God and nothing less than that great fact. And I will never apologize. I pray my book says we never apologize for God, but I will even shout it from the rooftops and bring the good news to where it's dark. It's my responsibility. Mechanics is a wonderful thing. I love our mechanics, but it's about am I having more information or am I seeking a greater transformation? Because this process of recovery isn't from point A to B, but transformational one. 
And somewhere in that transformation, somewhere in that mystery, somewhere in that not knowing, but still chopping wood and carrying water, I have these aha moments. And I don't always have to look ahead to see how far I need to go. But I look behind me and say, oh, my Lord, how far God has carried me from the scrappy to a level of life better than the best I've known. And I was just going to read something to kind of get this going, but I'm, I'm just moved. I was listening to, to, to Ralph and, and um, um, one of the other speakers, I'm forgetting his name. I'm getting old, so I'm forgetting things. Um, talking about uh, having Chili with his dad and his sponsor stepped in. And um, one of the things that has come to me in the last year, and maybe because I'm 62, I don't know. Um, maybe I'm getting sentimental. What I like to think is just God's handiwork really opening up my soul. Because the more awake we become, we shift in perceptions begins to happen. And what, is, what has happened to me in the last year, and maybe it's because of this pandemic and we're meeting, feel like it's an underground meeting, or the Brady Bunch on acid, I'm not sure which one. Um, relationships. So much of recovery, my recovery life is about relationships and not hesitating to tell folks how much they mean to me and not expecting the same in return. It doesn't have to be reciprocal. Because I knew if I, if I know if I was able one day to stand before my creator, I would, I would pray to him that he said, I love you. And I need to be telling people that and appreciate the moments together. I just shared the other night on one of these things. I mean, I'm here right now. I'm, there's no guarantee I'm ever going to see anyone again. God might call me home in an hour. I don't know this. I hope not. But at least let me tell people I love them and how much I cherish, how much I cherish Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's just the soul. See, the soul leads me, which I prefer rather than being dragged around by self-reliance. I was with my dad last week, uh, two weeks ago, we had dinner, Mary and myself, his wife, and uh, my dad, uh, you know, had, was the alpha male, the, the tough guy's tough guy in his day. I, I always joke around about my dad saying, if you ever seen the movie Goodfellas, he's Robert De Niro in that movie. He was something in his heyday. And in the last couple of years, he's 84 and 84 has shown up on him and he knows it. And it's tough for a guy coming from where he was to feel 84. And, and a couple of weeks ago, after dinner, we were sitting outside the restaurant and um, we were having a heartfelt talk. And I just let my soul do the walking. And he said to me, he says, you know, I know I'm on my last legs. And my head says, fix that right now. And right away, I get into more living in the, the, the wreckage of the future and mourning the living. And the soul said, just let him talk. Just be with him. And so we met uh, just on Wednesday. Uh, while he's down, he's a snowbird. I, I says, let's meet once a week, twice a week. He's only 15 minutes from where I live. Let's just have coffee. He can smoke all the cigarettes he wants because his wife's not around. And we can just be two guys talking. And somewhere uh, about a half hour into this cup of coffee, um, he was talking, he started talking about me. And on June 23rd, 1988, my dad found me uh, on the street, dying of alcoholism. And he was, as he described, awakened out of a sleep, shaking with the message that he says, I didn't really believe in God back then. I do now. 
that something told me to go look for you. And I found you standing on a street corner. And what if I didn't listen? And he was talking about that day. And he was talking about me. And he grabbed my hand. And my dad's not that type of guy. But he held on to my hand pretty tightly. And he says, uh, it's about 30 years for you now. I says, um, you know, you never short change in AA. I says, going on 33, that. And um, he says, I got my son back. He's I've watched what you've gone through. He's I've always supported you. He said, but I've watched what the man you've become. And he went on as he did at my first AA birthday to praise us, Alcoholics Anonymous. And we spent some more time together. And I always very affectionate with my dad. And um, I got back in the car and I remember thanking God for giving me Alcoholics Anonymous. And bringing me to this place. See, we can talk about mechanics, and they're important. Because when I'm sitting with a new person or doing a lecture, I need to know what I'm talking about. But I need to have experience with the information. Otherwise, it's just mechanics. It's like reading a law document. So when we can convey stories about transformations and relationships that were broken apart and now become reconciled and solidified, and two people are living from the soul because for me, AA is about getting soul food and it's a soulful walk. It's not about the head. That's the thing that'll hurt me. And how these relationships start to blossom, even if they're later on in life, they're still blossoming in God's world. There is no time, but he shapes the time in which he's found. I'm forever grateful. And I drove away. I'm a realist. I don't know when God's going to call my dad home, and he might call me home sooner. I don't know this. So let me be present to the moment. Let me enjoy these relationships. Let me value conferences like this. I can sit here and complain, says we should be in person. I wish we were. But while it's here, let me embrace it. And there's some new people out here. I'm sure all our speakers have talked about that. I hope we don't scare you when you see us in person. <laughs> We are, we, are, we are not a glum lot, thank you, God. So I'm very grateful for the journey that God has put me on and, and have these experiences because God, God has fed me and countless others. I've been around long enough to hear the stories of the God moments when we least expect it without our permission that he just shows up and it, it's a convincer that God is really here. And it's almost God saying, and you doubted me. I have you the whole way. When the 11 step says there are helpful books, be quick to see, see where religious people write, make use of what they offer. I've done that. It talks about helpful books. It says this from an author that my sponsor turned me on to. My sponsor, by the way, is Mickey Musset, who we'll get to here later. The man who does not permit his spirit to be beaten down and upset by dryness and helplessness but who lets God lead him peacefully through the wilderness and desires no other support or guidance than that of pure faith and trust in God alone, will be brought to the promised land. He will taste the peace and union and joy with God. 
He will, he will, without seeing, have a habitual, comforting, obscure, mysterious awareness of his God present and acting in all events of his life. The man who is not afraid to abandon all his spiritual progress into the hands of God to put prayer, virtue, merit, grace, and all gifts in the keeping of him from whom they must all come will quickly be led to the union with him. To me, this is an 11 step. No attachments to be poor in spirit, to have nothing before my creator, but to show up to my God in the raw, in my brokenness, not to play a role uh, uh, when I'm praying, but to show up cracks in the armor and all, not to give God agendas to, to change him, but to stand there open and willing to be changed by him. Not to get really clear in my soul that God doesn't love me if I change. God loves me so that I change. I can show up warts and all and say, Father, here I am in my brokenness. And in that brokenness is where I get God's strength. The same way we're in the darkest moments of my life, I've gotten God's light. There is nothing between him and I. And in those, those desert spots, which I've experienced from time to time, where I need to grab tighter and do things differently, all I keep doing is driving myself deeper into a hole and I just let go. I would love to tell you I do this perfectly, but I don't. I haven't met anyone who does yet. But I get an opportunity in alcoholics to no longer have to live my story. and hit people and hurt them with my broken woundedness. But I can begin to live my life, a sober life, a recovered life in the sunlight of the spirit. And for me, it's 10 and 11, and Ralph did such a wonderful job on 10. 10 and 11 is about enhancing this awakening we've been given. We enter the world of the spirit where nothing looks the same or sounds the same anymore. It, nothing makes sense to a mind in the world of the spirit, and what I, but it makes perfect sense to the soul. But what I get to do is enhance and grow with that. And it requires me to chop some wood and carry some water. All for his glory, not for applause from anyone or anything else. Because for me, I found the most important relationship in my life, and I speak for myself, is with my creator. And once I get that, I have better relationships. I'm a better worker and so on. My alcoholism doesn't come in a, in a bottle of whiskey. My alcoholism sits up in the head. And that is the troublemaker. And I'm the type of alcoholic that will pay any price tomorrow to seek comfort right now. And my alcoholism gets a life by taking mine over and over and over again. And it may not be one shot. It'll be just little by slowly start to erode everything that was given to me in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I start to put things ahead of God and I start to go backwards through the steps. And I start to sound and act like a drunk without putting a drink in me. And what begins to happen if I don't drink, I will die from alcoholism without ever putting a drink or a mood or mind altering substance in me. Yeah. I remember when I first got to Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, they were talking about prayer meditation. I would hear these 11 step meetings and think like, how do you get there? Meditation, I'm picturing a monk in a monastery and um, this is the monastery. This is the monastic life, what we do in our homes, occupations and affairs. It really, for me, points down to the monasteries in here. 
who I be determines what I do, yeah? And so, but I got a sponsor, and I really got a sponsor out of desperation. It wasn't even to be like everyone else was doing. I mean, God, I've been through seven treatment centers, and in 1988, I was living in an abandoned building. I was literally a homeless bum panhandling on the streets for the price of a drink. And I had, a, I had my years with non-conference approved dry goods. I was dying of alcoholism, literally dying when I showed up to treatment number seven in 1988. And I didn't think this was going to be possible. And so now I find myself in meetings and they're talking about sponsoring steps and big book and God as frightened as I was. I desperation scream louder than the ego as I must do this because I do not want to go back to that hallway. I don't want to become that guy again. I'll never survive it. I know I won't. And we live life forward and understand it backwards. We see it differently. The story becomes a little bit more crystal clear. And I was really clear on the, 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 the havoc I wreaked upon my family, the lost nights of sleep. You know, families, they, they jump to attention at three o'clock in the morning if a cop, cop car rolls down the block or, or the fire department sirens going off, they think it's the call, it's the moment. And I don't want to go back there anymore. And so I got a sponsor. We began a journey through the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was curious about this prayer life. I mean, I've been praying, God, please keep me clean and sober. But I heard, I heard people had this prayer life. How do, you, how do you do that? And someone sat me down and turned me on to some different authors. And it went like this. July 14th, 1959 was the day I was born. I popped out of mama and I took my first breath. And there'll be a day God calls me home and I will take my last breath. Both of those were prayers and I've been praying all along. That's how simple it was. I don't have to maneuver to get close to God. I don't have to do great deeds to get close to God. I might get extra credit in heaven, but to get God, to get close to God, I'm already, he's closer to me than my own breath. Well, all I need to do is wake up to that. And how I wake up to that is getting me out of the way. This thing called self, self-manifested in various ways, the seven deadly sins, defects, shortcomings, those are all the things that are blocking me from having oneness with God. I can't tell you guys, I wish I can tell you I do this perfect, but I don't. How many times my sponsor has said to me, you forgot you're an alcoholic, you're playing God, you have not let go absolutely, but when I do, I feel the nearness of my creator. What I get as an alcoholic sometimes is that the self and the manifestations of self wrap themselves so tight and around me and the roots go so deep that I can't see them and I can't hear them but I can feel them. And I don't know where they're coming from. And so I use self-reliance to kind of take the shackles off my wrist and all I do is make them tighter. And then when I'm done, when I am done and I hit the wall, as my sponsors told me, God will speak through brick walls. I drop to my knees in another surrender. And God, please tell me what to do. And suddenly those shackles get unhooked from around my wrist and self begins to die once again. And I'm back to feeling the nearness of my creator. I will fall into me all the time.
Self is the predator. It is a thing that wants no part of God. In Barnes and Nobles, they have the self-help section. I will not buy a book in there until it reads no help to self section. Then I'll buy a book in there. When I drive down the I-95 here and it has these every so often you see these self storage units. I want to go in, take self, leave it there, throw the key away and drive away. I'd be great. Yeah. I was working with prayer meditation with my first sponsor, right, right out of the gate. He turned me on to prayer and authors and obviously taken me through the steps and told me about meditation. And about nine years into it, what I've learned was knowing that I'm known by my creator, what a tremendous, tremendous freedom. I can walk with knowing that I am known by my creator. And I couldn't see that coming. But I've learned this as we grow, as I grow in understanding and effectiveness, that God knows my soul and he knows where it hurts. I just need to talk to him about it. That my prayer life can't be a negotiation, can't be a transaction. God, if you do this, I'll do that. I'm just praying to me and running into me. I can't command the spirit to do anything, but I can be willing to do whatever he asks me. I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. I will say what you want me to say. I will die for you. You just tell me my commitment. How far in do I want to go? As Mark H., one of my sponsors would say, how free do you want to be? Are you willing to commit everything to this God and surrender all? Because whatever I'm holding on to is going to bite me in the behind in the long run anyway. How free do I want to be? And so I, I early on, I'm working with prayer meditation, and uh, I started to, I'm just going to share the story real, real quick. I started to like go to my church. I'm a cradle Catholic, and I would go to church, not mass, uh, I do now, and I would light these two candles, yeah? I would light one for the sick and suffering in and out of the rooms, and I would light a candle for my mom, who part of me committed suicide when I was 14 years old. She was one of us and never found the rooms. And after many attempts at, you know, in psych wards and, and psychiatrists and you name it, and way over medicated and abusing it and all of it, she committed suicide in uh, January 1974. And so I was lighting a candle for her because my sponsors asked me often, where does it hurt? We all have it. Where does it hurt? What part of me is not fixed or healed? And that was, that was a, a big gaping hole in my soul. And people would say she's in heaven. That, that wasn't doing it anymore. It was good when I was a kid, but I'm an adult now. I need, I need something. And so I'm lighting candles. And I'm practicing meditation. And one day I go into meditation. And I've learned this about meditation. I'm sure some Zen expert can really clean this up. But my take on this is, I know when I'm meditating, I go into meditation and I get quiet and I know when I'm coming out and it's done. But every so often we visit a place that we can't plan. It's no mind. There's no time. We just get taken. And it's not because I'm a good AA or the worst sinner. It's just I'm a soul crying for help. And God says now when the ground is fertile. 
and nine years into meditation, I go into meditation one morning like I do every morning. And I was, wasn't timing it anymore. I got into timing meditation. If I stay in there for three days, I'm really a guru, you know, and, and I got attached to all of that stuff and I'm meditating. And what happens to me in this, in this, in this meditation is I get taken to a beach. Now, people who are close to me know I love hot weather and I love being by the water. And I feel safe sitting on the beach. The mountains are pretty. I love sitting on there. I love just knowing there's a beach near me. I feel like it can breathe. And um, I'm sitting on this beach and my God knows how much I love the beach. And um, off on the horizon starts to walk towards me is my God. The carpenter's walking towards me. And as he gets closer, literally out of his chest appears my mom. What my response explained to me, that was a significance of oneness with God. And when she got close to me, I was sitting and I stood up and I was this little eight-year-old boy. When I was around eight-ish to around 10-ish, my mom was having a really difficult time, the passing out on the floor and hiding medication and suicide attempts. And I was being molested by someone at around that age. It was a really difficult time for me in my life. And God knows this. And what my mom did in this meditation was kneel down and give me a hug. Now, there was a time I was sitting on the edge of a bed, blind drunk, crying and cursing at God for ripping me off that I didn't get a chance to hug my mom and say goodbye. And I was furious with God. And I was negotiating when telling him, if you bring her back for a minute, let me hug her until I love her, I will quit drinking. Huh? Well, here I am nine years later, and my mom kneels down as an eight-year-old boy I was and gives me a hug. And I've shared this from a million podiums. For the guys out there, when you're that age and you're hurting and mama gives you a hug, the world's a great place to be. There's nothing like a mama giving you a hug. And when I stood up, I became an adult. And my mom hugged me one more time. And my God put his arm around my shoulder, and we went eye to eye. And to tell you bliss, euphoric, peace, love would do it an injustice. I can't even describe the words. And what he said to me without uh, 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 verbalizing was, she's okay, she's with me. And when I came out of meditation, I realized the riddle was solved. But where it got interesting was this. My mom pointed off to the horizon to the right and pointed off to the horizon on the left. And when she pointed in both directions, what she pointed at was hundreds upon hundreds of flickering lights, kind of like a Manhattan skyline is what it looked like. Hundreds and hundreds of flickering lights. And she held on to me once more. Her and my God walked away. Her and the carpenter became one. And I came out of meditation. I was weeping. I didn't know that during the meditation. And so I went to the phone and you call your sponsor because I was confused. And I told him, I shared with him what just took place. I was changed forever. And I asked him the question. I said to him, what about the lights? What does that mean? And because my sponsor was on this path and had a life of prayer and meditation and was doing nightly reviews and was working in 10 and 11, he didn't miss a beat. And he says, 
haven't you been lighting candles for your mom for about nine years now? I suggest, he says, she let you know she got them. And at that moment, I never looked at life the same. I have fallen back into self-reliance plenty of times. I've been resentful and fearful and full of seven deadly sins, but there's an undercurrent that there's something much greater than what we're doing here. Not now called justice walk. See, I'd rather bear the pain of waiting for God than to bear the pain of going on without him. Because I know there's something beyond this. And he's just trying to mold and shape and tweak so I can go to work for him and bring the lost sheep back to Alcoholics Anonymous. Because like me, it's the last house on the block. And I need to be awake to do that. I need to have some information and moreover, a transformation that I can transfer to the next drunk who doesn't know what to do like I did when I got here. When I got here in 1988, I was living in Minnesota and they took me to a meeting called the Three Legacies Meeting. And I watch men dressed with suits. And I was wearing my brother's clothes. I was so afraid to walk in and so intimidated. And everyone looked clean cut. They looked clean, physically clean. I, I came from a different life where I didn't bathe for a long time. And I remember I was wearing my brother's shoes and they were two sizes too small. I couldn't get into them, that's all I had. But it was attractive to me. And I watched these men talk about God and cry and share their brokenness. No one was glossy. They looked glossy, but no one was glossy. And everyone gave credit to Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 Steps, the Big Book, and God. And I says, how do you get there? I don't know how to get there. And there was a gentleman out there who took me around. And we opened up the big book and I got my first taste of the information you guys were talking about. I've been through seven treatment centers. This was probably a, a doorstop. I didn't know what was in here. I thought it was a novel you read to be one of the in-fashion people in AA. I didn't know it was an instructions on how to live a sober, productive, godly life. And when I came home from Minnesota a year later, I was, I was really assigned by God, this sponsor. He was speaking the same message that they were in Minnesota. And I was drawn to him. The head didn't say, go pick him. Spirit moved me. I said, can you sponsor me? And we began a journey. And the men who've been put in my life over these years have been giants to me. My current sponsor, Mickey. I mean, I truly believe in my heart God sent him to me because one of the great things he's done for me is allowed me over and over and over again to see the value of steps 10 and 11 and the importance of having a relationship with God. And through the step work, I was able to get back to my religious community and be a member of good standing there. If I'm going to talk to you about God, and I say this for myself, if I'm going to talk to you a whole bunch about God and prayer and meditation, I better be going to his house. Because I look at some of my life as being a total hypocrite when I'm talking to you about God and I'm talking about prayer. I'm talking about meditation. I'm telling you about for the grace of God, but I haven't been to his house. I go to his house every Sunday. Step 11 tells me. I just want to go to on awakening, if that's OK. It says on awakening. We think about the uh, 24 hours ahead. That's how I be. I consider my plans for the day. That's what I'm about to do. 
And before I get out the door, it's already telling me to pause here before I just get up and run out the door. See, the second half of the first step talks about current unmanageability. If a book meets me where I am with 32 years sober, is my life currently unmanageable because I'm managing it? Am I taking you know, shortcuts on prayer meditation? Am I seeking solitude and communing with God? Am I giving God time in the morning? Is it the most important event of my day? Am I practicing fidelity to God? Or am I putting stuff before it? I hope I don't get so well that I think I become invincible to the tactics of my disease called alcoholism. And over the last year, and I thank my sponsor for this, I realized, realized these aha moments as to who I'm praying to. I can treat people like God and God like people. I'm not praying to my neighbor down the block. I'm praying to him. And he's given me the opportunity to sit in front of him and pray and talk. How blessed are we in Alcoholics Anonymous? Because I know a lot of cats out there who are just doing life, who are so out of touch with God and trying to just figure it out. I don't need to figure anything out. It's already been figured out. I just need to get on the merry-go-round and understand I'm a spoke in a big wheel. It says, before I begin, I ask God to direct my thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. The reason why my book is asking me to go to God to be divorced from that, because that's who I am in the raw. I'm an alcoholic. I have alcoholism, not wasm. That's who I am in the raw. Selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened, and I expect you to sign up for that. I expect you to go along with that. And when you don't, I write resentment inventory. That's who I am. And a number of years doesn't, my, my alcoholism is not impressed with my number of years that I've been sober. It is not impressed that I get to do this. It really not interested. It'll get me tomorrow morning. I saw Don C the past couple of times out here. Thank you, Ali, for inviting him. And he said something when I did my first fellowship with the spirit, and I think he shared it again the other night. The ego will get you where you think you're doing good. Oh, I'm sober a long time. I have all these sponsees. I get to speak a lot. I'm gold. I'm now Moses. You follow me around. I look more like Rambo. Under these conditions, I can employ my mental faculties for God gave me brains to use. And here's the big piece. My thought life will be placed on a much higher plane. See, if I'm running on me, what happens is my thought life starts to manifest in what I'm doing. And it creates my current reality. I'm always in it. I'm always in a drama. I'm always in a struggle because my thought life has created my current reality. But something happens when I begin to live from the soul and that does the lead. I'm, take, I'm taken by the soul, selling what's around me with the bumps in the road. I'm traveling light. I know when I'm traveling heavy, it's because I became the driver again. All our speakers have talked about it. I can never transcend alcoholism. Might transcend some things out here that are going on in the world and just walk differently, walk quietly, stay in the center. But I'll never transcend alcoholism. Once an alky, always alky. I'm recovered, but not cured. I'm recovered right now. I don't know about tomorrow morning. I might be Looney Tunes. This whole thing hinges on my relationship with God. My book tells me that. A daily stay of execution. It's a reprieve. 
And the great thing about this, this, this God and this Alcoholics Anonymous, I make mistakes. I get tired, I get lazy, I get frustrated, I get resentful. And God never says, well, you can't come to AA. There are AA members who don't want you to come to AA because you leaned on a tradition. Oh, my God, get them out of here. Or in my case, I work in the field I work in. He can't come to AA. God is like, I don't care. I heard a great story of a man who wanted to change his life. And he went to his best friend. He says, I want to change my life. Tell me all the terrible things I've done. And his friend started rattling off all the things he's done. Another man wanted to change his life, and he goes before his creator. He says, God, I want to change my life. Tell me all the terrible things I've done. And God replies, I don't remember. In thinking about my day, I may face indecision. I may not be able to determine which which course to take. Pause. What do I do? I turn in in order to go out. I ask God for inspiration. I take it easy. I don't have to do anything. I can just wait. It's really interesting. Step 11 wakes me up. Step 11 puts me to bed. And how I'm walking around is with the 10-step considerations and what 11-step is telling me to do. I'm bookended from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed with God. And I have clear-cut directions on how to navigate. Will I do it perfect? No. And in the times we live in, I'm going to need this. What used to be the hunch of occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. I've been given a purpose and direction. That just gradually becomes a working part of the mind. It's the soul kind of working up to here, and I can see different. I'm no longer dominated by the mind. I don't see through the mind. I don't hear through the mind. I don't speak through the mind, but rather from the soul. Now, occasionally, I'm going to think God just spoke to me. I just found, you know, um, um, the love of my life. I know she's got three days back, but it's the love of my life. And the sponsor says, now, hold on a second. (laughs) Let's practice pause here. And sometimes I think it's God speaking to me. And I run up by my sponsor and we kind of, we talk about it. But what begins to happen, and the great thing about being led by the Spirit, and again, I've heard enough of your stories and I have my own experiences. There's a time where we're not listening to this and we're just moving and we're traveling light. And it's all that sixth sense. It's all intuitiveness. Have you ever had this happen to you? It's happened to me sitting in meditation and someone comes to you in meditation, an AA member or a family member. I was told, call them. Don't text, don't email, call them. And every time I've called, it's, wow, I'm so glad you called because here's what's going on. There's something much greater at work than than what's going on right now, knowing that I'm known by my creator. When I go through my day, I pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. And I constantly remind myself as to who's in charge here. God is. When I first got to AA and practicing prayer meditation, and just to share you some of the mechanics and some of the silly things I've done, um, you know, two minutes of meditation, someone was teaching me how to do this. And two minutes of meditation, I was literally put on a timer. Two minutes felt like eternity. When is this two minutes up? 
The other thing that happened to me as I began to practice meditation, I woke up to how noisy my head is. See, it just became status quo, just going around with the noise in the head and all the voices talking to me all at once. And it's just the way it is, kind of like when the TV's on and you're talking over it, and then you realize it's awfully loud. Lower that, I'm on the phone, yeah? And I go into meditation for two minutes, and I go, oh, my God, there's a lot of traffic. I'm never going, going to get this. I woke up to how much noise I'm actually working with, and that's the noise that blocks me from God. And my first reaction was to fight it and resist it, and that just created more of it. And I went from two minutes to five minutes and five minutes to seven minutes, and then the soul has a rhythm, like muscle memory. And it calls you in and, and it's done when it's done. And I probably am pretty consistent, pretty consistent in the morning with about 15 minutes to 20 minutes. That's pretty consistent. And I don't do meditation and prayer at 1130 at night when I'm ready to go to bed. It's when I retire at night and that can be seven o'clock at night or eight o'clock when I'm calling it a day. And throughout the day, Paul the Apostle said, pray always. Well, he didn't mean sit, repeat the Our Father all day long. But can my life be a walking prayer? It's easy for me to talk about God and intellectualize God, but there's some work involved for me to be a walking prayer. And that's what we're talking about. Get up off my knees and be a walking prayer. Allow me to see the all of God in everything. Practice of living in the presence of God. That's what happens when I get a, I become afraid. I no longer feel the presence of God, but I'm full of me again. And there's a big difference for someone like me to trust and relying upon God compared to trusting and relying upon the part of me that thinks it's God. One, I'm traveling light, and one, I'm traveling heavy. And so what I was told, when the noise comes, don't fight it. It'll go away. I hear the fire truck going down the block. Okay, fire truck. I'm thinking about doing the laundry. Okay, do the laundry. I'm thinking about the day at work. Okay, do the day at work. Come back to breath. Come back to breath. Come back to breath. Come back to breath. My sponsor said to me, you're a Catholic. Why don't you use, why don't you use that meditation? See yourself sitting with your God. See yourself sitting with, for me, the Blessed Mother. See that. It's sacred moment. You're praying. You're meditating. Help me. I've fallen into the hands of a living God. There's nothing to grab onto. No ideas, attitudes, emotions, of things that I think are going to make me who I am. No money, property, prestige. There's nothing, just me and my creator. And it feels like a free fall, but I'm falling into the hands of a loving God. How much more safe and protected can I be as an alcoholic, but to be wrapped up in the palms of God? And I forget that as I go through the day because the mind is working all the time. It doesn't want me to remember God. It wants me to be in self-reliance. It wants me to practice seven deadly sins. It loves when I'm anger, when I'm in anger. But to walk with the presence of God, Lord, have mercy. I wish I can say I do that 24-7. But I write inventory, share it with my sponsor, help another alcoholic turn in in order to go out. If I don't turn in, I will go without and go help a drunk and get back in the saddle. 
It's the spirituality of imperfection is what, what I get to do in Alcoholics Anonymous. And the great thing is, most folks identify with exactly what I'm talking about. It's the only place on the planet that I'm aware of that I can come here and tell you about the terrible, awful, nasty things I've done. And one of you guys will say, here's my number. Give me a call. Only in Alcoholics Anonymous. So my, my meditation started to grow. And um, I, thought I, was, I thought I was Moses for a while. Uh, Ralph talked about that. I became Moses. Uh, Jesus would call me in the morning for advice on what to do with world affairs as soon as I got done with prayer meditation. And uh, what I started to do was become attached. And I was completely unaware of it. Self wraps around me. The roots go deep. I'm wondering. I'm praying and meditating. I'm awfully tight. I can't find my way out of this. So I work even harder. And self bores down on me. And what begins to happen is starts to take me away from the very power that gave me freedom. And I start to worship idols. And what do I mean by that? I bought sage. Sage is a wonderful thing. I have it right here. I burn it regularly, but I had to burn it. And I had to get the gong, and I had to get the candles, I had to get the chimes, I had to get the CD player with the CD meditation tapes, and I had all this stuff. I had the, basically the electric-like orchestra meditating with me in the morning, and that was the only thing that was praying and meditating, because I'm watching all of it, and reading all these little inspirational books, and that was my prayer meditation, and I was no longer experiencing God, because I don't need any of it. I just need to be open. And I call my sponsor. He says, what's going on? And my sponsor was Mark H. at the time. And he says, you look wrapped up tighter than a major league baseball. He's what's your 11 step like? And I told him, he says, no. He says, your job is to seek God, worship God, and find out what his will is for you. The other stuff you can put along with it, but you're worshiping that rather than him. Then he asked me, how's your nightly review going? How much inventory are you writing? Where are you with currently with amends? How many outstanding amends do you have? Am I, am, how can I live now knowing how I lived then? How could I possibly hear God when the clog, when the drain is clogged? What I'm hearing is me. I need to go into darkness to see and silence to hear. And I'm full of me and all my resentments and all my drama and all my fears. That becomes more paramount than the power I'm praying to my own sobriety in my own life. It becomes more important. I'm consumed with that. And alcoholism loves it. And then I say, A doesn't work. I can't experience God. And I'm sober this many years. It's because I'm in the way. I can't practice love and tolerance while I'm running into me wherever I go. I have a head full of knowledge. I have a head full of information, but I'm lacking transformation. And for me, the transformation doesn't happen one time. It's ongoing. My God has pruned my tree to the point where it says, stop, it's hurting. And he keeps going. Because that's what I signed up for. To be of maximum service to him, him, and the people about us. Him first. When a book talks about, you know, uh, stay sober and help another alcoholic achieve sobriety. That's my primary purpose. Pass it on for fun and for free. It does say so, stay, stay, stay sober first. Well, who's doing that for me? 
It's God. So I better get right with God to stay sober via the 12 steps and then go pass this on to whoever cares to have it. And when they don't, I dust off my sandals and move on. But it's constantly growing and understanding and effectiveness. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. That's what scripture tells me. So what I used yesterday to get sober may not work today. I can't rely on last week's spiritual experience or transformation. It's a new day, new circumstances. I need to go back to this power. And when I retire at night, there's some things I need to do. I have found, um, and I, I've experienced some of this, but when I do workshops and, and folks come up to, the guys come up to me uh, and they tell me they're having a little bit of trouble. They're struggling which is usually just a master of the truth anyway. How can I struggle if I have AA, 12 steps, members of Alcoholics Anonymous, 12 traditions, where's the struggle? It's just a master of the truth, but they're struggling. And we talk about amends and what their 11 step looks like. And I have found out one of the first practices that go off the board immediately is meditation. Because I'll ask them, do you meditate? Uh, that means no. I meditate while I'm driving. That's not meditation. That's putting your life in danger. Do I give time in meditation to sacred silence? What does prayer look like? Who are you praying to? And I share with them that sometimes God, God doesn't, God will always answer prayer, but not on my terms. And then sometimes there's a mystery that I'm confronted with the mystery. I need to be okay living in a mystery and not command the spirit to give me an answer. It's okay to live right in the mystery. I don't know, but I keep chopping wood and carrying water. And then the nightly review goes by the board. There's questions here. We like to do four column inventory with me and my sponsor. My sponsees review my day. I Throughout the day, people call 10 steps, 11 steps. It's inventory. How am I doing? When I fall short, who do I owe an amends to? And so what happens is the drain pipe keeps clean. I'm not carrying, 12 and 12 talks about the emotional hangover. Today is Saturday, and if Friday was bad, I don't want to be wearing Friday on Saturday. That stuff starts to accumulate. And for me, I'm an alcoholic, you see. And I have an old default button that says double vodka. And I have 32 plus years between me and the last drink. Thank you, God, and AA. But that button is still there. And it likes to talk. It likes to put people in my life who are not going to be helpful. It likes to put toxic people in my life who are not going to be helpful. And it makes them very attractive. It makes it glossy and shiny. And then we start to lean and listen. I need the only thing that's going to keep me from that when you guys aren't around is God. I'm not beyond, I'm not a beyond reproach for anything. Self will run right. I'm not a good guy. And so I look at this review at night and it says, we inquire what corrective measures should be taken. It warns me not to drift into worry, remorse or morbid reflection because it would diminish my useless to God and others. I'm full of me again. It's the ego coming into the back door. Oh my God, I fell short today. Moses fell short. This is not good. I fell short. I made a mistake. I'll clean it up. I'll call that person. I'll go see them. Whatever it needs to be done. 
sometimes a long day. I, I, I work in a business that's, that's a challenging business. And, uh, you know, you don't make a lot of money, at least I haven't, but I'm there, I've been called to do it. And sometimes I come home and it's a day. One day feels like I worked a month. And maybe Marion will talk about, we need a new couch. <laughs> we need to get new drapes or a new rug. And I, I, you know, I'm not into that. I don't want to hear it right now. And I kind of might be abrupt. I've never spoken out of line with her since I know her. Thank you, God and AA for doing that for me. But I might be a little short. And I'll come in here and I'll sit down and I say, you were just short. She wants to pretty up the place where you live. She wants to give you a great life. I'm so blessed to have this woman in my life. And you just cut that down by saying, let's talk about it later. And it, it's not okay for you. It's her time. And so we talk. And over and over and over again, God gives us that thing, you know, that gauge in here that says, I need to fix this. I need to go talk to them. Or perhaps that sponsor you is reading the same inventory about the same person for the 30th day in a row, and you want to just get them out of your house. You listen. And you teach. Because that's what AA and God has done for me so many times. Tremendous freedom in prayer, meditation, getting the soul food, and the freedom in coming to terms with my brokenness. That there's actually a tremendous amount of freedom in that. I'm broken and flawed. Scripture says I'm weak flesh sold unto the slavery of sin. That's my going around and the greater need for God. And for me, prayer meditation has answered so many riddles and closed some doors and opened some doors. But it's always prayer meditation has always closed the doors to the mind and opened up the doors to the ear which allows me to hear the soul. I don't have to listen to this mind anymore. And I'll share a story and I gotta get out of here cause it's almost 4.15. Um, a number of years ago, um, well, about a year, about a year and a half ago, um, I, I became a business owner and it was the honeymoon phase for a while. And um, the business was not doing good. And I never realized the commitment to sacrifice to open up a business that you don't make money. Everything goes into the business and is hours after hours after hours and trying to get this thing off the ground. And we found it, it wasn't working and we we're doing everything we can. And um, what I woke up to was I was no longer a business owner, but the, the owner, the business was owning me. I was in bondage again. And I wasn't being inspired. I wasn't living in spirit. I wasn't living with inspiration. I was living, relying upon me. And I got invited to this uh, facility down here in South Florida. It was a grand opening. And I didn't want to go because about an hour earlier, I went to the bank and I realized I can't pay my rent. I'm next to broke and I'm sober this long. And I was petrified. And the last thing I want to do is press palms and say, hi, congratulations, because I'm in a bad place. See, my sponsors always told me, you don't need more money. You need more God. You don't need a better job. You need more God. I forgot. 
And I went to this place and I walked in, they gave me this, this tremendous uh, uh, reception. So glad you were here. A couple of cats in AA came out of the back and says, hey, I listened to your CDs, man. You've helped me so much. Most people would feel really happy about attending this event. I'm dying even more. And then the owner sat me down in his office. He says, I got to tell you, man. He says, look, these are your CDs. You've saved my life. Most people will feel pretty good about this. I'm sitting in a chair opposite his desk and I'm dying. Because the only thing my mind's eyes could focus in on was this big Rolex watch that he was wearing, the Ferragamo shoes that he was wearing, and this really expensive Canali sport jacket, because I got eyes for that, that he was wearing, and I am not. What a fraud I am. And I had to get out of there. I got back to my car and I began to weep. What pamphlet did they make in AA and how to be rich and famous that I never got? And I called my sponsor. I called Mickey and he listened. He says, this is alcoholism. This is alcoholism when you're not drinking. It's got you. Self has got you. Pride and ego has got you. We need more God. He walked me through an inventory and he prayed with me. I got my sponsors the best. And I got home, I wrote out some inventory, and, and he checked on me that night. Now, it was not a good day. And the next day was tough, and my business got even worse. But what happened during that transformation in God's infinite mercy, I was grabbing too tight. And I had to let go absolutely, completely. If it fails, it fails. I'm still here. And if it succeeds, I give all credit to God. You know what happened? Somehow I paid my rent that week and my business is still going. And thank you, God, it's a good business. But again, I doubted God back then and I'm sure I'll doubt again. And he knows that, but he's too forgiving to push me aside. And when it's heavy and the cross feels heavy, he says, just come to me, I'll take it from you. So I need to walk with this God. And here's the great thing. And I'll close with this. I got it from you in Alcoholics Anonymous, the men and women in Alcoholics Anonymous, men and women of grace and dignity. This computer I'm talking to you on, the career I have, this, this wonderful, incredible woman I have in my life, Marion. I get to walk with her. The suit I'm wearing, the tie I'm wearing, everything I have, the car I drive is for two reasons. God and Alcoholics Anonymous. Because when I got here, I had nothing. I had none of me. There was nothing. It was an empty shell. And little by slowly, you put me back together. That stuff might come and go. But the soul, the soul is the soul. And you have given me soul food. And for this, I owe everything to you and to a loving God. Ali, I love you. Thank you so much, man. Thank everyone for listening. That's all I got. Peace.